the Youth Workshop Podcast, episode 61. You bring the passion. We bring the knowledge. Learn from the most creative, innovative and experienced youth experts across the globe. Are you ready to take your youth ministry to the next level? If the answer is yes, you are in the right place. The Youth Workshop, the podcast. Here's your host, Luke White. Henry Ford. You know him. He's the founder of the Ford Motor Company. He is noted as saying the following. If he had asked people what they had wanted, they would have said, a faster horse. And this is really, really interesting me. It's the idea that basically, when it comes to thinking ahead of where we are, to innovating, to progress, it's hard for any of us to think beyond the exact configurations of where we are right now. That tends to be true in business, that tends to be true in life, that tends to be true in youth ministry. And for the longest time, if any of you have had a conversation with me, you know that I felt deep in my bones that youth ministry is in need of an entire overhaul. And I guess the first area is operationally. You see, the model of youth work and, dare I say, most of ministry that is done in, through and with the church centres around events, high days, celebrations. We plug all of our money, all our resources, all of our time into these events. And I think that that is an absolute travesty. So I've been thinking, I've been dreaming and I've been writing about how can youth ministry be done altogether differently? What would that look like? Is it even possible? And as is often the case, (laughs) I was not alone. And as Providence would have it, I came across my guest today. He first stumbled across what he's going to share with us. And now he intentionally walks that path. It's an entirely different path for youth ministry. I think it's exciting. I think it's invigorating. And I absolutely love it. But please, let me know what you think after you've listened to today's episode. Use the hashtag YWSpodcast on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to use it. And just leave your comments and your suggestions, and especially any questions you have, I would love to take them on one of our future episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Youth Workshop podcast. I'm so excited that you've chosen to spend some time here with us because we have an amazing guest for you. His name is Matt Overton, and he has been involved in youth ministry for a very very long time. Matt, how are you doing? Good, doing well, doing well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Why don't you start by maybe just telling our audience a little bit about yourself and um, what ministry looks like for you on a on a general day-to-day basis? Sure, so I'm a, I'm a full-time minister. Um, I work, I happen to work in a Presbyterian church um, in the northwestern United States. Here uh, at this church for about eight years, um, before that, I was doing youth work at a church in Northern California for four years. And overall, I've been engaged in youth ministry in some form or another for 18 years, I think, about at this point. So I started actually when I was 20 years old wow. in college. Um, I became a youth director of a very small little church north of where I went to school. Mm-hmm. Somebody invited me to come up. They knew I was interested in ministry and uh, started there and and felt like my gifts and kind of God's call lined up. And so I just kept trying on new things for size. And it felt like, yeah, this is, this fits, this is good work. Um, it feels like where God wants me and I've just kind of kept, kept doing it. And then the last four years have been three and a half, four years, something like that. I lose track, but have been kind of tinkering around with sort of a different, um, I don't know if we can call it a model yet, but a different experiment in youth ministry that seems to be going very well and, and seems to be interesting to a, a number of people 
um, from all over the place, really, that have, have reached out to ask what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it, those kinds of things. Fantastic. We're going to get into all of that. I want to, listeners, I want to keep you on the hook for a little bit longer before we jump into, into that. Let's, let's go back into your story a little bit. And you say that you, um, your, your gift and you found, you, you tried different things and to find the fit for your gifting and, and for God's calling for you. Could you maybe, uh, share with us some of the, some of the avenues you initially went down that made direct you to where you are. Yeah, so the, the, the very earliest would have been probably – so about a year ago, it's funny that you you like this line of question because about a year ago when when I was – kind of all this stuff was coming together, it felt like this is a really viable sort of model to mess around with. I sat out with a journal mm-hmm. to try to figure out all the different strands that made this happen. Wow. Because I couldn't figure out how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Um, but for me, the earliest experience that really kind of shaped all this probably was in my own youth group days – um, we didn't have a regular youth pastor. We rotated through somebody every single year I was in high school, which is four years in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And so what that resulted in was um, two things. One, it resulted in a periodically like pretty dysfunctional youth group. <laughs> um, but it also meant that the students had a lot more autonomy and leadership independence. So there were many times where we had to make things run mm-hmm. because – didn't know or didn't feel like we could rely on the expertise of the person that happened to be in the room as the adult. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we had this really robust leadership team and things like that because just, you know, necessity required it. Yes. Secondly, I think the biggest thing was when I was uh, in my second or third year in high school, our church put together a team to look for the next youth pastor and they included several youth on that team of adults. Okay. And so I spent two years working with adults in my church to help find our next youth pastor um, wow. through job views and phones. And I think a lot of that really started to shape um, my sense of, Hey, um, you know, uh, my, both my pastors and other folks are ordinary people mm-hmm. and maybe ministering something for people that are really weird. It's just for people who sense that God might be calling them into that. And some of the adults on those teams began to say, Hey, have you ever thought about going into ministry? Mm-hmm. Um, we think that God might be able to use and, and not really in huge overt ways, but just along the way, just kind of asking those questions. So by the time I got to college, I was thinking, well, I'm going to go off and study either this or this, or, or I might go into ministry. And as I kind of crossed into my freshman year, I was thinking about uh, a couple different careers and then ministry. And um, lo and behold, my sophomore year, a guy that I worked out with at the gym, mm-hmm. uh, came up you know, at the beginning of our sophomore year, I said, hey, my dad's got this little church. He runs up here north of here. They need a youth director. I know you've talked about being called youth ministry. Why don't you come interview for the job? Mm-hmm. And I called my parents and I said, hey, mom and dad, nobody's in ministry in my family. Okay. And I said, well, what do you guys think of this? It's 20 hours a week. I got a full load of classes. And they said, well, if you think God might be calling you this, you need to go try this on for size, even if your grades suffer a little bit. Wow. So I did. So I was really surprised. I thought maybe they'd kind of drop the hammer and say, no, we're paying for an education. We want you to get that kind of done. Yeah. But they were very supportive. And and um, and then the church gave me a lot of leeway and freedom to leave and support. And so everything that I tried, you know, they led me to preach a sermon one time. And, you know, I led a trip to Mexico, wow. which was houses at 21. And that was kind of crazy and overwhelming. But I felt like this fits. I can do it. God seems to be affirming this call. Let's keep going in that direction. Fantastic. I love, we love stories here at the workshop. We love to, to be in those moments with you that have kind of shaped your ministry. So would you say that was, was there a specific, a specific time maybe where you yourself decided, you know, youth ministry was your thing? Because I'm hearing a lot, you know, it seems a lot of kind of circumstance and, God's hand, I would say, in kind of directing you down a path. Was there is there a moment you can think of where you knew for sure that ministry was youth ministry in particular was for you? And I'll give you a bit of backdrop to that question because you know yeah. recently, um, maybe it's not so recent, but recently I've noticed a kind of a growing trend towards um, people kind of migrating or what they might call upgrading from youth ministry to. Um, uh, like a senior pastor or a lead pastor role of a church. And um, maybe e- even in my own context, I've noticed that 
oftentimes youth ministry is seen as a as a kind of a stepping stone but for your story i'm kind of sensing more the feeling that i have which is youth ministry is for youth ministry in its entirety is for you um was there a moment am i right in that assumption and if i am was yeah, there a I moment think, where that well, was yeah i think Number one, your experience is very right. I think many people use it as a stepping stone. Um, I know in the United States, like I've talked to uh, in particular, like African-American youth workers who say that often what happens in their churches is that youth ministry really gets the shaft because Mm -hmm. it's really just like a preaching try on for the big stuff. (laughs) And I've heard that a number of times and I'd never heard that or known that. And, and I think, I think that's true in the churches I've experienced to some degree. And some of it's just because, People burn out on the hours and compensation. Honestly, it's not, mm. not anything more than that. I think for a lot of people. So for me, I've always known that I liked working with students and kids in general, even when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, something that my parents even pointed out that I enjoyed kids, mm-hmm. and, and I led sports camps and things when I was, uh, you know, in high school and stuff like that. So there's always been that natural gravitation. My mom was a public was a public school teacher. My sister is, and my wife is. So. Mm-hmm. There's kind of that, that, that deal. And I don't, I don't love, um, I've never migrated partially because I feel called to teenagers and youth, but also because my own sense of, um, sort of what we might call regular or adult youth or just ministry mm-hmm. is that it's very repetitive and it follows certain recipes mm-hmm. and my personality doesn't deal well with that. Mm-hmm. And so I like new ideas. I like being able to push in new directions and youth ministry is always looking for that. Mm. And it's always at a very fast pace because that, because, you know, teen culture is evolving so quickly that you better be at least making some adjustments along the way to even a traditional format mm-hmm. or you're over time. And so um, I'm, I love experiments. So being a head pastor, that's actually much more of a stretch for me to feel a calling to, mm-hmm than anything else because I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I want to deal with all, just all the sort of logistical things and repetitiveness that goes along with that yeah. restrictiveness. Yeah. So yeah. I like, I used to play chess quite a bit and people have asked me about being a senior pastor, a head of staff, would I ever move on? And one of the things I've said to people, I said, if you look at a chess board, I said to me, the head of the staff is the king or whatever, you know, man or woman doesn't matter to me, but they can only move in one direction at a time. Whereas I'd much rather be the queen or the bishop that can just slide all over the mm. board. Much better as an associate pastor or the person than you can. Um, even in my preaching, I feel that way because I do preach. I'm fully ordained, mm-hmm. and I feel like I can fire more prophetic shots from the second chair than I can from the first chair. Wow! 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 So, wow! I've always felt that way. Fantastic! I love that. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we've kept you on the hook long enough. Um, let me tell you how I encountered Matt. Um, I was doing my usual scrolling online, reading youth ministry resources, blogs, and, and so forth, and I came across um, Matt on the uh, the youth specialties website. And as oh, I quickly discovered that um, Matt had a website entitled um, Entrepreneurial Youth Ministry. Am I correct there, Matt? I am, aren't I? YouthMinistryInnovators.com. Yes, that's right. YouthMinistryInnovators.com. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, the link will be all up um, underneath the podcast here. Um, And the title, Entrepreneurial Youth Ministry, and I was hooked straight away. Uh, As someone who who considers himself as having entrepreneurial tendencies, which I really uh, define as just thinking of creative ways to solve problems, really, um, and potentially earning an income from it. Um, it, it struck me straight away the power of just the statement, even before I read anything, just to see it there in ink, in black and white, entrepreneurial youth ministry. I was like, yes. So I had to reach out to Matt, get him on the podcast, Tell us, tell us, Matt, all about entrepreneurial youth ministry. Yeah, so so I um, my journey with all this started um, fairly s- simply. I'll tell you that you like stories. I'll tell you a story. So when the when the economic downturn hit like six or seven years ago, um, we were in one of the roughest hit areas in Northern California, and we we ended up losing our home, wow. and it was a really discouraging, frustrating experience to go through that. I had that happen once as a, as a child and it, and it, 
it was very frustrating. And so um, as we came up and eventually uh, moved churches, we got here and we, we um, wanted to find a new home. And so the, the best thing we could afford and get into given our circumstances was this absolute junker house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, well, I think that's what we can do. And we did. And we, we got together with a few friends from the church. This is about two years into being at the church. And we started to remodel the house. Gutted the whole thing, rewired it, all these things with the help of friends. In the process of that, um, I began to hire students from the fringe of my ministry, students that um, oftentimes were um, were struggling socioeconomically. Mm-hmm. My experience has been that most youth ministry models tend to be middle class or upper middle class. Yes. And so they can hold on to students that are maybe struggling middle class um, or low income. They usually can only hold on to them for a couple of years before they say, ah, oh, the conversation here isn't my conversation. I, like, you know, like I'm out of here. Yes. And so I started to hire these kids. And as I did, and they're helping me work on the house for hours. I'm like, man, I am like quintupling the amount of contact work time I have with these kids. Mm. At my house, we're having better conversations about life and in faith seems to come up more naturally in conversations about work and life and the, the stuff that you talk about as you do that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. that kind of sort of remodeling than it ever happens at youth group, traditional youth group. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition to that, adults from my church started to like show up at my house to help because they knew some of these kids a little bit and actually wanted to spend more time with them, but didn't really know how to do it. Wow. And so as I'm doing this, like literally after we finished remodeling the house, I decided we needed to build a garage next to the house because it didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And I had people showing up with lumber and air compressors and all this stuff from my church to help these five or six kids learn how to do the construction and everything else. And a number of these folks actually help us on a summer sort of construction-based mission project we do each summer. Mm-hmm. And as I, all that kind of started to happen, I started to think, hey, there's something new going on here mm-hmm. that I need to pay attention to. It feels like we're doing a service-based mission trip every Saturday at my house. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just do youth ministry like this? Like why, why, like, why couldn't we just try it this way? And so I started to, to think about um, the, the ways that that particular way of doing youth ministry worked better than the ways I've been doing it for, say, 15 years. Wow. And started to have some kind of aha moments and was like, well, maybe we can open up like a small shed building business or something. Well, we couldn't do that because teen labor law in the U.S. won't like or in our state won't let you do certain things. Mm-hmm. But landscaping was available. And so I know knew very little about landscaping. <laughs> But I knew a little bit and I was like, you know, we could do that. So I took my own money and I bought um, a new truck. I bought some, well, initially I just bought some lawnmowers and and weed whackers and things like that. And we just, I started up finding clients and then hiring a couple kids and just kind of started from there. And then I started to build mentoring around that. Now we have like this 501c3 and the landscaping company is just this little portion of it. Wow. Wow. So it's kind of yeah, crazy journey. And I, I mean, I, <laughs> I love this. Like I'm not an idiot. So early on I went, well, maybe I am, but I went <laughs> it and I, I talked to my head of staff at my church and I said, Hey, I got to let you know this idea that I've got, I'm going to pull a team together of eight people from the church that are either good mentors or good business people. Mm-hmm. And or they know tax law mm-hmm. and I'm going to get them in a room and I'm going to tell them about this bad idea I have <laughs> and see what they think. And they, they went for it. Um, wow. and so he went for my head of staff was like, yeah, he's kind of entrepreneurial himself. I was like, this sounds like a great idea to try, go for it. And then I went to my elders at my church and they, and a lot of them, I think I, I was really nervous about that because when the landscaping company started, it was a for-profit entity. Mm-hmm. So I went to the elders at my church and I said, I'm going to start a for-profit company <laughs> that's going to employ students at our church and it's going to do ministry. And I was really <laughs> nervous and you're already paying me to do a nonprofit job. Yeah. I was really nervous what they're going to say. But I think for a lot of people on that elder board who are in the business world, for some of them, it was like, Oh, this is the first idea at my church in a while that makes sense. Mm. Uh, they really, they really embraced it wholeheartedly, which, which has been amazing. Cause I think there's a lot of churches that would have shut this down. Yes. So, so now we have this nonprofit called the Columbia future forge, and we have 23 youth that are being mentored one-on-one. 
they receive five life skills and job skills trainings a year um, that are faith based. And um, and then they meet with those, you know, those mentors in between the trainings. And then we try to place them in jobs out in the community or they don't have to get a job if they don't want. Um, at the very least, we give them a jobs based certificate at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we um, and then and like they cover everything from like personal goal setting to money management. They do like a Myers-Briggs personality assessment with marriage and family therapists from our community. Wow. Um, and they do like professionalism, like how do I show up on time for work, dress appropriately, those kinds of things. And then we build in kind of theological principles into the trainings as we go. I'm looking at So that's a lot. It, it, a lot. it is fantastic. So there's so many questions I have. Okay, let me let me start on on this what is it about you matt and this is maybe this i don't know if anyone's ever asked you this before but what is it about you or the way in which um you are interacting with people that is getting you yeses <laughs> because you know I, so well, yeah. that, you know we talk about calling right and i there were like a few years ago when i had started the landscaping company i went into a local nursery and uh, you know sells plants and things like that and i and I went in and, and I'm talking with somebody and they immediately refer me to a manager. And within 10 minutes, he's like, bring me all the brochures and cards you have. We'll put them right on our counter and advertise for your business. And I was walking out of there and I'm like, what just happened? Like what? <laughs> so, like one, I think the idea just is, it's a good idea mm. and it's new. We're like, oh my gosh, there's something new in youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I think um, I'm good at communicating. And so I think I stumbled into a gift that that not that the church doesn't honor, but like the entrepreneurial side just has not paid attention to. And I think I staggered into it. I'm like, I'm really good at this, like going out and talking to people about this new way of doing stuff. So part of it's just staggering into a a natural gifting. I'm a good communicator. I'm, I'm generally friendly and easygoing. It's very easy for me to relate to virtually anybody I come in contact with. I've always been like that. Mm -hmm. So. I also am really good at navigating different ends of the theological spectrum. So I, I grew up in very like, I, I guess you describe them as liberal mainline churches. I was an Episcopalian mm-hmm. and then a Presbyterian. in my college years, I was an evangelical. And then, and then I ended up back in a Presbyterian. So I've been all over the place. Wow. Theologically. wow. <laughs> so that enables me to interact with different people in my congregation and segments of the church in a way that I can understand what they're, like lived experience of faith is at least a little bit to speak common language. And that yeah. helps a lot. Um, so, I mean, those are all reasons why I think my dad was a bit of an entrepreneur. So I tend to think in those ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of what got this started really honestly was that I tend to think in economic terms. Right. So, so part of what got this was I read a little book called toxic charity by a guy named um, Robert Lupton. And it's an excellent read. And it basically looks at a lot of the ways that we do, both uh, urban and then third world, uh, like mission. I don't want you. I don't know what you want to call it, mission service or um, initiatives. Tends to take away the dignity of the recipients mm. pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, do quite a bit of harm rather than the good that we hope it will do. And that book struck me, um, and I and that that kind of fueled my way of saying, well, we kind of do that in youth ministry. Like we we offer our spirituality. We offer. Um, sometimes tangible tr- like trips that we take kids on all this stuff for free. And I think for our low income kids, especially it's like, I, I get a little embarrassed after about the fourth trip that I've received a scholarship for. Mm. Right. So I started thinking about, well, how do we build a better model that actually increases people's dignity, their wow. sense of like worth and that they can, um, they can, you know, make some progress in their lives, both spiritually and maybe like economically or practically. So that was a big factor. And I realized pretty quickly when I looked at youth ministry, we're seeing lower and lower attendance rates at, at church mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in our ministry because our kids are busier and busier. So my economic mind kind of said, well, what we're competing for is time yes. all of a sudden. Yes. They don't have as disposable time as they did. And apparently the opportunity cost of youth ministry, that, that whole equation has completely changed. So if So my youth group on Sunday nights used to be up against nothing. Yeah. Now it's up like state robotics tournaments mm. and like um, sports that parents have paid thousands of dollars for. Mm-hmm. And you and if you're in a, if you think economically at all, it's like, well, duh, 
if the parents invested ten grand in soccer for the next season and traveling fees and everything else, <laughs> free, and and they're freaking out about college and how they're going to pay for it in the U.S., then you've got to figure out a different value proposition, even though you think this is worth so much spiritually, yes, right? Eternally, yeah. they can't see it, and Americans are really bad about being like total pragmatists, right? right. Like if we can't immediately how it benefits us we're not interested in it right and and so i was like well so the equations changed since once i started youth ministry so we got to find a different way to go about this so i was like then we're going to look at what parents are worried about they're worried about their kids future they're worried about jobs they're worried about all those things Mm -hmm. while they're a little too freaked out about some of that um if we don't build a model that speaks to that they're going to be increasingly less interested in what we're doing. Like if our youth ministry doesn't speak to the practical day-to-day needs of students, then it's going to be hard for them to want to invest in the spiritual side of the equation as much as that frustrates me as minister. So I built a model that worked with, worked with that instead of against it. Excellent. 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 Okay. So I, I glimpsed a recent article um, that you've done. I haven't looked into it fully as yet. But this whole um, discussion regarding um, non-profit and for-profit and uh-huh. um, how you've navigated that, uh, speak, speak a little bit on that and how maybe we can approach that. Yes. So the reason I started with a non-profit entity or a for-profit entity was um, a couple of reasons. One, it was at the time it was faster to set up. Okay. Less uh, paperwork to do that in the U.S. Just yes. to go get a business and get started. It was also because my church was in the middle of like a capital campaign. Okay. And so it was doing that well, but I was like, man, there's another three years of that. They, we're not going to have any dollars to go after this, especially because it was kind of a crazy outside the box idea. Yes. I was like, well, if I build a for-profit business, we create a revenue stream mm. and we reinvest. The pro- I didn't keep really keep the profits. I just kept putting them back into whatever we were going to need to do. Right. So, so it was like I created my own revenue stream without having to go get donors or anything else excellent, initially. Excellent. Now, all of that was possible because I was already employed by, by the my church. church. Yes. Entity. Um, um, but um, but that's so basically that's like that's kind of how it that's how it started. That's why it started with kind of for for profit, mm-hmm. um, and then the nonprofit part really has come about looking at, well, what are some of the strategic advantages of each one of those? Like one of the problems we ran into with the landscaping was we would like some of our adult mentors to be able to come out on the landscaping jobs. Well, that's against the law when you're running a for-profit company to have somebody come out and volunteer their time for free. Okay. As we kind of walk through, we said all along, we don't know where this will end up. No. (laughs) Uh, We don't, we don't exactly know, you know, kind of what's, what's going to happen with this. So we'll just kind of experiment as we go along. We had a company, uh, steel, which makes a bunch of like landscaping products come to us and donate a bunch of their training equipment. Well, we couldn't, we, we couldn't receive that as a donation. So that was a problem because we were a for-profit right? all the tax on all the equipment at full value. So like there were just different strategic decisions we made along the way. So we, we kind of had a hybrid model for a long time. We had the, the nonprofit, Mm -hmm. which, all the mentor recruitment and the trainings mm-hmm. and then the profit which almost kind of employing a few kids and then um, directing its revenue back into the, the company basically so I, I, I do believe like philosophically I want that landscaping company to generate revenue because I like it to function in an environment that's sort of sink or swim yes. I think that changes the whole dynamic for the students when, when they go out on a job site and I say to them, look, we bid this job at four hours. If we don't get it in four done in four hours, then we don't make a profit. And this job goes away for you. It also goes away for the next five students that would like to have it over the next couple of years. Wow. Those are important things for them to understand because most of them in the education system, I think exist in an environment in which you, you know, you get assigned a project mm-hmm. in, kind of turn it in later you might be able to get some extra <laughs> like that's totally different the job world that most that everybody enters into one way or the other yes so so, I'm, so I, I like the dynamics that the for-profit world creates um uh in some ways i i have some some ways that i struggle with 
what profit looks like and some aspects of cat. I am like, I'm a capitalist, but I, but I'm a kind of a reluctant one in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I, there are tensions here for me theologically and otherwise, right. right. That I have, but I do like the, just the very real nature of putting kids in that environment and saying, Hey, if they walk out the back door of my youth ministry and, and, and maybe they haven't responded in faith, but the very least, maybe I've honored, you know, James, the book of James and saying I prepare them economically so they can put food on their table and clothes on their back. And I would feel pretty good about that. So good. So good. Fantastic. Okay. So I want to talk a bit about this, you know, I would say the model, um, so the model that exists currently for youth ministry generally is, is, is what I would call an events driven model. Um, yes. Which is why, again, when I came across this, I was like, yes, this is fantastic. Um, it, do you think so? Um, actually, let's look, get into the more the, the kind of some nitty gritties of it. So do the, the the let's say, do you put together like in the traditional structure, you put together like a plan for the year, let's say, where you would put an, right. an, an, a normal uh, in, an, in a traditional youth ministry, it would have the events put in. Do you, what would they kind of, do you do a, a year in advance kind of planning for this other model or did you, do you see this as running um, parallel to a more traditional structure? How, how it so, operationally, so yes. Us. Practically for us, it runs parallel right now. Okay, great. Which, which is a bit of a beast for me because I'm running a full-time youth ministry and then doing this on the side. Okay, and there's no way I can do that without a team. A really like I've got like nine adults that help help this thing run. Wow. In addition to all the I have, so wow. it runs parallel and it has its own calendar. Okay, great. obviously the trainings in advance. We have certain strategic objectives we're trying to get to, whether it's funding or, um, you know, numbers of students or um, the kinds of trainings we want to do this year versus last year. Mm-hmm. So it's got typical organizational planning that's going on. Mm-hmm. That is independent of the regular church youth Got ministry. You. However, mm-hmm. about half the kids in the mentoring program also are a part of our church. Okay. And they're a part of the youth ministry. Now, some of those kids are kids that we would never have at youth group because they just aren't that interested in youth group, but they're interested in this. Yes. And, and then the whole bunch of the other kids have no connection with our church outside wow. of this. And, and we, we very much would like to maybe bring them on our work service trip in the summer. Like we're trying to figure out what does evangelism and outreach look like within this, this model, but they're definitely parallel structures. Now I have to, obviously for my personal sake, I have to coordinate calendars. Of course. Of course. How to make all this constellation, of- <laughs> but but they are parallel structures basically. That, no, that's great. So I don't I don't like, instance, like I don't like I don't like bring the whole youth group to like the you know the goal setting training. No, like in fact for me I get done with church on Sunday morning. I've got my trainings for this program at three o'clock to five o'clock, and then at six o'clock I've got youth group. So it's it's sort of. So it's like rotating multiple hats. It's kind of crazy sometimes. Perfect. Which leads us on to a point, which, which um, a question I ask generally on the interviews. Um, with all of this, you have even more on your plate. I was, you know, you, you're, almost, you're almost in the same position as a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are volunteers. So they have, on the one yeah. hand, they have their job. And then on the other hand, they are trying to facilitate a youth group in their, in their spare time. But you've actually got two full-time things that you're trying to juggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did that partially on purpose. So, so to give you an idea, so a little bit more on the why. So one of the things that drove this was my own sense that I knew youth ministry needed people to take risks. Right. And I looked at my situation. I'm at a church of about a thousand folks. So oh, it's wow. pretty large. Yes. Not a mega church, but it's large, which, which I looked at that and I've typically worked at smaller churches. And so I thought, you know, if anybody has the bandwidth to try something right and, and has some kind of obligation to their fellow youth worker Mm -hmm. and to the church to try and incubate something new, it's us because we have a church this side, we have some capacity around the margins that I would add as a youth director. Part of this model was designed to see if I if if a youth director 
could, who's employed by a church, maybe 20 hours a week could build something for 20 hours a week. So instead of going off and maybe working at Starbucks for that yes. extra 20 hours, yes. develop something that actually benefits their pocketbook, you know, their wallet yes. and, and allows them to do ministry at the same Fantastic. time, which kind of does, but doesn't really. Fantastic. Right. That's all caught up in this is how would we enable people to do even more kingdom work while supporting wow. themselves economically? This is so good. <laughs> so good. So, so that's like, so that was like part of my thinking was, was feeling kind of an internal obligation mm. to try to build something for other churches. And that's always hard, man. I always feel like the big churches always went out and that, that ticks me <laughs> off. Even as somebody that now in a big yeah. church, I've gone to so many conferences where I walk away and I'm like, dude, what you're telling me right now is never going to work in anybody's church, but your church. Yeah. And I frustrated. So I was like, well, how would we build something that might be able to help somebody else other than a large scale ministry? And that's my hope. I would much rather have this benefit smaller churches and folks that are already doing tent making yes. as we go. Yes. than folks that, that are at the 5,000 person church or, you know, whatever. So, okay. So that's, that's like part of my thinking in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. In a lot of ways, what I did was I, I like stepped into the role that most people are like, get me out yes. of here. <laughs> uh, and, and like I said, it's an intentional decision. Mm-hmm. It's also an intentional decision for me to attempt to step out of that at some point. So like right now mm-hmm. I've created enough funding that the church has now cleared me to step out of my normal ministry role for about 15 hours a week and further into this new role. Oh, that's great. And that's been my goal is to figure out how can I get this thing to be self-sustaining? And I've done that through getting grants. Uh, people have come out of the woodwork to give donations. Um, One of my posts on youthministryinnovators.com talks about the economic circles of youth ministry and, well, really ministry in general. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that, that, that we, we, we've relied, I would say we have relied for maybe 1700 years off of cultural subsidies. Mm-hmm. So that's of obligation to give to the sort of church, the church in general. Yes. Right. And that's disappearing. Yes. Right. And so I get frustrated in my church meetings because I'll hear pastors and other folks over the years and youth directors and all these folks say, well, gosh, if people just gave more, we could do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And my internal is a pretty passionate person. Look, you have the most compelling story on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. And live that in such a way that people are just trying to open up their wallets to what you're doing. Then you're not doing the right mm-hmm. things. And so my thing, so like the, 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 the first ring of that circle is maybe like, you know, people give to the church. The second ring is people's passion dollars. And I don't think we've built the right kind of ministries to actually access what people really care about. Yes. And it's actually an of that you want more than their two and a half or 2%. Mm-hmm. Well, then you better build something that they want to give their blood, sweat and tears yep. for. Yep. You know, yep. Because people's time and their money are their most precious commodities yes. economically. And if they're not giving them to you, it doesn't, it may in fact say more about you than it does about wow. them. And so, so part of what's happened in this is we've tapped into something and people have pursued us. I, for the first three years, I never announced this in front of my church because I wanted people to find us. I wanted people to hear about it in my church and say, come tell me about this. Why haven't I heard about this? And they have, and they started to give towards it. Well, we've now created enough of a budget that I'm able to scale back some of my standard youth ministry hours and push out in this direction a little bit more. And, and the hope is to kind of continue to do that little by little and then see where we end up. So fantastic. Because it's not sustainable. It's not healthily sustainable for the long term. You see, you, you touched on a really interesting point that, that really hit me hard when I was, um, I think it was a few years back, there was this campaign that was running by, I can't remember the company now, you may, you may jog your memory, who were basically looking for volunteers to go to Mars. I don't know if you heard about this. They were looking, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they were looking for volunteers yes. to go to Mars and the, applica- the application process, firstly, I think you had to, it was, a, it was a substantial amount of money you had to put up for the, for, the, for the honor of going to Mars once they figure out how to get you to Mars. And right. the application form clearly says, this is a one-way mission. 
Okay, it's right. a one-way mission. We don't know what's going to happen when you when you get you over there, but you know, you just go over there um, and you see. You basically, you're start. You're going to try and live on Mars, and then there was this long application process. I think they they whittled it down from about. I think it was. I'm, I'm sure I'm not exaggerating when I say about 100,000 applicants, but they were only looking for about 100. Um, right. And then finally, it was going to be about 10 or 20. Maybe I'm getting the numbers wrong, but you're getting a sense of the numbers. And they were inundated with applicants paying for the privilege to go on a mission that they never yeah, die on. Yeah. And that right, was the yeah. first time what you just said really hit me hard into and start to get me thinking about... No, people will, when people believe in something and they're passionate about something and they see the yep. vision, they will give to it. They will. Yeah. They will. Yeah. They will trip. They will like, right. Yeah, like they'll show up to your house to build a garage with wow. you. Wow. Right. They'll, they'll, it, it's amazing to me at times how excited people get. There, there are times when people on my team have said in the course of this, like one of the articles I wrote for Duke Divinity School was like, well, what have you learned as you've done this? And there's a million things I've learned. Mm -hmm. but, but one of the things that, that's happened is people on my team said, well, gosh, you're, it makes us nervous because we care about you. you. It feels like you're really out on sort of the skinny branches, right, of the tree. Mm -hmm. And that's true. And it makes me nervous sometimes. There's days when I've gone down the highway and I'm terrified. Like, what, like have I created Frankenstein? <laughs> kill it right yeah. and at the same time i think what i've recognized is people i think the gospel is about being out on the skinny branches mm -hmm. and i think people that care about christ and the gospel uh want to be out on the skinny branches too but i think they need they need some people to go out on the skinny branches to convince them that they can do it at times yes yeah and, and i think i tell my youth students this all the time i think at the very center of our gospel story is a God who I think takes a massive risk mm -hmm. in coming into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and in some ways it's a, in some ways it's a, it's a wonderful victory, but it's also a victory that's achieved in the midst of just an absolute catastrophe. Yes. Right. Yes. My friend Mark Giaconelli, who does youth ministry here, Mark, Mark once told me, he said, you know, if you're delivering a youth talk and, and 11 of the kids don't understand you and the 12th one wants to uh, wants to murder you, then congratulations, you're doing just as well with your kids as Jesus did with his disciples. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> there's an idea that there's a glorious failure to be had. And I think that's at the center of our story. And I think we, we tend to gloss over that because we like the victory better. We like the surety of being saved yes. and cared for. And I think the gospel, when you really boil down the story, invites us to places of risk, maybe even catastrophe. And the question is, are we willing to try and do it? I tell the students in my ministry, I say, look, our world tells us that the way that you find life is by figuring out, um, you know, what, what the world calls our passion, which I think it misuses that word. But it says, find your passion and then you'll figure out what's worth living for. And I always say to our students, no, no, no. But what the gospel says is you figure out what's worth dying for. Right, your Mars mission. Figure out yes. the one thing or two things that you'd be willing to lay down your blood, sweat, and tears for. And if you do that and invest there, whether it works or fails, you will feel yourself coming more alive. Oh, and I think that's what God does. God knows who his beloved is. Yes. Willing to lay down his blood, sweat, and tears for the sake of that beloved. And therefore, Jesus is one of the most fully alive human beings we have ever seen, right? That's that's at the center of this. So I think, I think going out on the skinny branches within reason, right? Sensibly to some degree, like I haven't been insanely ridiculous <laughs> about the risk, yeah. but I've taken some risks yeah. with my own money and time and even risk my job a little bit. Like I was a little nervous about what was going to happen with all this. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think you do that. And people say, wow, why I want to do that too. Yeah. Even if I can't, some people have gone out and done it themselves. Some people say, I want to join you in that. And you're right. I think, People will fall all over themselves to try and join in that kind of work if it's the right kind of work and they're inspired by it. And that's why people follow Jesus. Like, I mean, I, I think that's that's why they jumped on board and said, yeah, I'll, I'll go fish for people. <laughs> it's just crazy enough, right? Just crazy enough. Right? Yeah. Totally. It's, been, it's shocking to me. Like, there have been times where people show up to help with stuff or to say, and I'm like, what? Like, why are you here? Or, mm -hmm. like, I've really actually been embarrassed 
um, as minister over the course of this, what I really feel like is an accidental journey to me. Like I didn't set out to try to do this. Mm. Uh, I, I felt embarrassed at multiple times when I look back over the course of my, my ministry and thought, man, look at how faithful God is when some risks are taken. I don't know that I ever had at least as thoroughly put myself in a place of risk and failure mm-hmm. and not see how faithful God can be. And, and, and that, that sort of lesson has been cemented over and over again as well. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, so many, so much value being given in this conversation. And we're literally, God, we're running out of time, but there's so much I want to ask. I think one way I'll, I will go is this. How much do you think, you mentioned at the right at the beginning of this conversation um, about being displaced twice, losing your home twice now. Right. How much has that played into this story, do you reckon? Um, I think, I think in some, some big ways. So I, so I, you got to understand, it's kind of weird because I grew up in a very, I grew up in a, in a, pretty wealthy community in Southern California. Okay. So, so one of the things in my ministry has been odd because I've often sort of figured out, well, how do I learn to listen well and do ministry well with kids who've grown up in very different circumstances than I did. Yet in the midst of that, I lived in a family that often didn't manage its money well at all Mm -hmm. and would month to month. It's so ridiculous when I think back now, Mm -hmm month to month and we lost our home which was just insane growing up and that was scary like that was very scary right so i think it's played into maybe some of my ability to empathize Mm. with students that that are in very different circumstances but i can relate to like certain aspects of Mm -hmm. that um and also yet just still completely don't know what they go through because it's very different um so i think it is a big factor i think particularly the, but I would actually say the biggest factor for me that helped this go was, was not so much losing those things. Um, I would say the biggest factor for me that helped all this run and happen was that be, because my folks didn't always manage their money well and because um, we had to fix things on our house a lot. Right. That you know, learned things in my house growing up that a lot of kids like in my community of privilege never had to do. They would just hire someone. Oh, yes. <laughs> We did our, we fixed our plumbing and we did this or that. And so, and I'm not very good at those things. Like I, I'm not, I'm like not a, not a technically minded person. Mm-hmm. So like I know enough to know how to get certain things done, yeah. but I'm not, at it. I don't have that kind of mind, but that helped a lot in this. And every year my church did not take our kids to camp. We did work service projects. Okay. So for, from eighth grade until 12th grade and then twice in college, I built homes in Mexico. Wow. And so that construction experience was what actually enabled me to think, and it really was, I really didn't know what I was doing, but to think I could actually remodel my house. (laughs) Yeah. So, but largely like I wouldn't have been able to rewire it without the help of two friends who are excellent at wiring. Like, and we hired some subcontractors, but like none of this would have happened if I didn't know what the interior of the walls of my house looked like. Wow. And I knew that. So I was like, we can do this. We can tear this stuff down and demo it and, and do this stuff. And so I think that was actually a bigger factor was doing those construction-based work service projects enabled me to think that this was accomplishable and having worked jobs as a teenager. Many of my students these days are so busy, they don't work jobs. Yes. And I think I more about why my faith mattered and about who God made me by working jobs than anywhere else. Um. I think jobs present a unique opportunity for kids to observe other adults other than their guardian or their grandparents or their parents if they're in a nuclear family, right? Mm-hmm. It's teenagers to be able to observe other adults. And I had a much larger constellation of adults that I could sit back and watch because of the jobs I worked. Yes. Um, when, I, when I was a paper boy growing up, I delivered newspapers. And then when I was in high school, I became a custodian at my church. And that was great for ministry, too, because I got to see all the warts and pimples on the church yes. and, and still say, oh, but this is a this is a good place. Like, this is a place for me. And mm. and so I think the jobs and the construction stuff mattered more to this than probably losing the homes. Wow. The, the home was simply a circumstance that caused the initial situation out of which the idea sprang to happen. Great. Oh, Matt, this has been so amazing. And literally, 
we're, we're, we're closing in on an, a whole hour. So what I'm going to do is it, it kind of wrapping things up, tell um, our listeners a little bit about how they can find out about, um, read more of your articles, find out about what you're up to and maybe connect with you um, if they so desire. Yeah. So if folks want to connect, I mean, really the best thing to do probably would just be to track me down on Facebook, just to search for, for Matt Overton. And then I add people to our youth ministry innovators kind of Facebook page. I, I keep that as kind of a private group so I can kind of screen a little bit. Yes. Um, but com is a place where mostly I blog. Um, I offer some services if folks wanted to consult like with us about how would I do this at my own church. Mm-hmm. I offer that on there as well. Um, and, but um, I'm always looking for people that are trying to do youth ministry innovatively in their own way. Mm-hmm. Definitely idea. And if they want to come and do a post on there, then they can do a post on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an opportunity for people to think about risk taking uh, in ministry stuff. So that's, that's where I'd reach out is youthministryinnovators.com. You can email me through the, the web address that's on there. Um, and you can watch a little video on kind of how this all started a few years ago. It's actually a little bit, the video is a little bit dated at this point, but it, it captures a good bit of the spirit of kind of how this started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you can just Google Matt Overton, Christian social enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, or in, and any number of articles will come up from youth specialties to Duke divinity school, the Princeton theological seminary, stuff like that'll come up. Um, I'm actually going to be in the UK next summer nice. for a little bit sabbatical i'm going to be in london i'm going to be meeting with um steve chalk oh yes is trying to understand what they do or don't do there and how that works with a local church Uh i'm hoping to link up with uh a lady named shannon hopkins who runs a thing called the matryoshka house which like incubates ideas she's amazing you should go her okay and then hopefully with john baker um, as well this next summer, just like little cups of coffee and things to kind of understand like what they're doing. Excellent. Um, well, yeah, we will definitely let, let's catch up for sure. When you come to the UK, that would be absolutely fantastic. And maybe, maybe do this in person would be cool and kind of let people know as you know, how the journey has gone since they last heard from you. Right. Yeah. And I'd love to talk again, if there's other questions that come up or sort of second level questions that would be helpful to folks that listen to you, I'd be probably happy to do that if I can carve out the time. Excellent. Matt, thank you so much for carving out the time. Um, we had a few, a few, few issues connecting, but we got there in the end. Um, I just want to affirm you in what you're doing. Thank God for what you're doing and um, keep it up. It's, in, it's an inspiration and it's reached all the way across the ocean. So um, we're rooting for you and um, we hope to catch up with you again soon. Yeah, thank you. Blessings. Matthew Overton. Oh my days. I told you, workshoppers. I told you that was going to knock your absolute socks off. Please take the wisdom that you heard in that episode. Internalize it. Think about it. You don't have to repeat what he's done, but take the seeds that he's planted and run with it. And let me know how you get on. Contact me anywhere you would like at Luke C-R-W-H-Y-T-E at Luke C-R-Y-T-E. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, I'm on it. And until next time, create an impact with your influence.